welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. We are at episode number 43. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire. One, Japuma. Thank you, thank you. How are you guys doing? This is the first podcast of 2020. We ended 2019 with a New Year's Eve episode and happy to welcome you guys back to the new year with the ep- the latest episode of the podcast. Jay, how the hell are you doing today? Yo, listen, I'm freaking out. Why are you um, freaking out? I feel like somehow we're going to go to war with Iran and I'm going to somehow get drafted. It's going to be World War Three. I've been seeing all those memes everywhere. I think we're too old for the draft. And I'm freaking out, bro. We're too old for the draft. Damn it. You know why? You know why I'm saying damn it? Why? Because you want to be a Navy captain? I would love nothing more than to be a submarine captain. I thought this is my one chance to be a submarine captain. Here we fucking go. Listen, Ronnie, could you imagine Jay Chima out there in the Mediterranean Sea? Is that uh, what it is? No, that's uh, not, not, not even close. Ocean. The, 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 the Indian, Indian Ocean, Ocean yes. Strait of Hormuz. Yes, yes. Geography. I get it. You're yeah. very smart. You know what I'm saying? I'll be the navigator. <laughs> Before, exactly. Before we sink be, some Italian be, freighter. What am I going to hit? I'm fucking going to hit out there. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're like, oh, we're going to go to the Mediterranean. What, are we going to sink an Italian freighter? Like, nope, they're yeah. okay. Listen, I tell you what. How did uh, your, mama, your mom and uh, Aunt Cookie, how does she like the fact that we're not cursing in these episodes? I didn't get any heat for it. Yeah. I didn't get it. it, it clearly... Clearly, it's uh, it's it's 9 p.m. when we're recording this on a Tuesday. You know what this feels like? This feels like a summer episode. It does. You know what I'm saying? It you feels know, like one of those summer episodes we both in good moods. Yeah. You, you know, know, just free-flowing. We had a good day at work today, you know? Yeah, it was a good day in Happy Land. It was a good day. It was, uh, it was you know, didn't go to jail. Didn't see any prison bars. It yeah. was <laughs> any day I walk out at, at 7 o'clock with no issues, it's a good time. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, it was a good day at Happy Land. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're happy to kick off 2020. We had a bunch of great action uh, Dude, over the what weekend. what the hell? Like, all hell broke loose and it was like 1130 in the morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we had some great games this past weekend and wild card weekend. And then we also had some, some pretty significant news dropping today in regards to the coaching carousel. Um, do you want to bullshit some more or do you want to get to some football? Oh, stuff? let's get to some football. Uh, let's talk about some football, all right? Uh, we'll talk about the coaching carousel first. To give you guys a quick update, the Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy. Yep. The Giants ended up hiring Joe Judge. No, which, no, no, yeah, yeah, Joe Judge. Joe my Judge. Bad, my bad. He is the former wide receiver slash special teams coach out of the New England Patriots, if you haven't heard of him before. And then third and finally, uh, the, the the one uh, other, other shoe that dropped today was uh, the Panthers hired Matt Rule, the Baylor coach, who got a seven-year contract, by the way. Yep. Seven-year was $60 million? So it's $60 million, and then if he hits incentives like winning seasons, playoff appearances, Super Bowl, it could work its way up to seventy-five. That's a lot of money. Yep. Now, we'll we'll talk about those really quickly. Is there anything else that we're kind of missing in regards to the coaching No, I mean, there, were, there was rumors for the Giants that when they hired Joe Judge that uh, Jason Garrett was going to come in and be the offensive coordinator slash assistant coach. Um, it'd be kind of the uh, the mentor of Joe Judge, but uh, those rumors were squashed by uh, Ralph. Va- I'm gonna butcher his Vacchiano. last name. Va- Vacchiano yeah. of uh, of SNY saying that the initial report that he was gonna come to New York as an uh, as an OC was uh, was incorrect. They asked for permission prior to hiring Joe Judge for Jason Garrett uh, to interview for being a head coach. Yeah. So it looks like Joe uh, Joe Judge is going to pick his own uh, his own coaching staff. So yeah. 
Let's see. Let's see who he picks. There's a couple of veteran coaches out there that could he could get on his staff. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting hire. So my take is, man, listen. At the end of the day, I think the Giants kind of whiffed on this uh, coaching hire. Um, Joe Judge, I get it. He has some history with Belichick. He has some history with Saban. Um, he does have his act. He has his coaching chops uh, about him. But I just can't get over the fact that the guy is a wide receiver slash special teams coach that got hired on. I know people are gonna jump at me and say John Harbaugh used to be a special teams coach, and I get that. It's a rare instance. But I think with just how how badly the wide receivers performed this year, and that's a group that he overlooked. I know, and I know it's unfair to kind of look at his latest. Uh, performance, but that's the lightest information we kind of go off of, right? Um, I think I think the the hiring in itself was problematic just because I believe Gettleman being a GM kind of caused some issues with other candidates going there. Um, so at the end of the day, it is what it is. And truthfully, listen, I, I am the equivalent of what Stephen A. Smith is to the Cowboys. I am that with the Giants. I absolutely love when they lose. I love when they suck. I love when I see Elon Manning on the sideline. So for me, I'm not I'm not too pissed off about it. I mean, listen, they're gonna they're gonna be mediocre. <laughs> they're gonna be shit for the next five years with their crap quarterback and their crap head coach now. So for me, it is what it is. I don't mind it one bit. You know what? I'm gonna push back a little bit because prior to being the wide receiver coach for the New England Patriots this season, he was just strictly a, a special teams coordinator for five years with with new england and if you look during his tenure as a special teams guy that special teams unit for the pats ranked in the top 10 throughout that time frame he also has experience with uh, with nick saban down there and i think he's going to be good i mean you, yes john harbaugh he's the latest head coach that has come from the the route of being a special teams coordinator but if you look throughout the the history of prof, uh, professional football just like the last 50 years a couple of coaches that stand out Marv Levy of the Buffalo Bills uh you know Bill uh Bill Cower was it Bill uh, Bill Cower? Yep, yeah, Bill yeah, Cower. Yeah. He cut right. his teeth as a special Lots of whiskey guy. tonight, huh? Yeah, a little bit. What are you, know? Aaron Rodgers over here? He's in a good mood over here. It was in a good mood. So Bill Cower, Marv Levy, and prior to Bill Belichick being the, the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants under Bill Parcells, he cut his teeth for almost a decade as a special teams coordinator. I'm not anointing Joe Judge as the, oh my God, he's immediately in this class of, of head coaches that came from this route uh, of uh, of a special teams coordinator. But it, I think that's an untapped mine of coaching potential right there where they're kind of involved with offensive and defensive players on special teams. They're paying attention to almost all facets of the game. And he can just step back and just manage everything and pick – in theory, pick the coaching staff he wants to manage the, the correct aspects and oversee as he sees fit. So I think it could be it, it could be a good hire. Uh, it's really just going to come down to the development of Daniel Jones. Like whatever offensive coordinator and quarterback coach or whatever comes in, it's really going to come down to the marriage between this head coach, this coaching staff, and Daniel Jones. Because we, I think there was enough there in year one to be like, all right, there's let's see what happens in year two if he makes more more progress and more leaps forward in year two and doesn't regress a la baker mayfield then that's going to be fine if, if they start to struggle and he starts to take a couple of steps back uh in year two then it's going to be well maybe you should have you should have fired dave gettleman along with pat Shermer. nice nice the next one we'll talk about real quick is the uh, the panthers hiring matt rule 
Um, I think I've had this conversation with you before. I just um, I just don't like the Matt Rule hire. I get it. He's the hot young candidate right now, and he kind of got into the circles where his name was being thrown around. But anywhere you look along his coaching tree, he hasn't had massive sustained success. And by sustained, I mean like two or three years in a row where it's like, you know, just straight out 10, 11 wins a year. Um, he had his little stint in the NFL. He went to Temple. He turned apparently he apparently turned that program around, and then he went to Baylor. Like I mean, I just I just I just don't see massive, great, sustained success over a long period of time for me to warrant a six year, seven year, sixty million dollar uh, contract. Six years, sixty wait, seven years, sixty million could go up to seventy five with an NFL team. So sure, if the Panthers see something they like and they hire him, I get that. But I personally am not willing to buy into Matt Rule just yet. He hasn't proven on any level of football that he's a competent coach, and I think they whiff on this pick as well. Gonna go. I'm gonna go the opposite. I think Dave Tepper. He comes from the the Wall Street type of business. He's a hedge fund manager, and I think he was looking for a guy to develop the program, develop the brand, and that's what Matt Rule's done. I mean, he brought Temple from the the basement of they weren't even in the ACC, like the the All American Conference. Brought them up. Uh, and, and, and kind of made a name for themselves. And a couple of people that went through Temple, I think Rocky Asin transferred from uh, a junior college to Temple while he was a while he was a coach there. Uh, I'm ninety percent I'm sure that uh, Robbie Anderson was suspended by Temple, and then Matt Rule came and banged the table for him to come back. And Robbie Anderson straightened his act up and was successful at Temple, and then got drafted by the New York uh, New York Jets. And, you know, we, we could go down the road of what happened with, with Baylor, and he brought that that team from the scrap heap of possibly, you know, they were missing bowl games with off-field issues and, uh, you know, the, the AD having problems as well, too, to being an 11-win team. They only lost to, to Oklahoma. They could have been in the college football playoff as well, too. And I think this would be the guy – the right guy for the job to to do a, a you know like a macro management do like a, a management style where you're overseeing a, a company like a ceo kind of deal and i was talking to our our boy we know we know uh justin butat you know too hot butat he's a carolina panthers fan he's not a he, he doesn't agree with the hiring but what i was telling him I think with Matt Rule going to Carolina, I think that's kind of the the go sign for them to possibly trade up and get Tua Tungavailoa in the NFL draft because he recently declared that he was eligible. And we don't know what's going to happen with Cam Newton. So maybe you get a mobile quarterback. He's big in the analytics department, him being Matt Rule and Dave Tepper. You could possibly get Tua Tungavailoa, you do a draft, you do a package for a trade, trade up, maybe trade with Miami, my Miami Dolphins, move up to the number five spot and get your guy. You know what I found out about the Dolphins the other day? They have uh, three first round picks, which I get. I already knew that. But did you know that the NFL doesn't allow you to get more than three first round draft picks? Well, I didn't know that. They cap you off at three. <laughs> so fun fact. I wonder what would happen if you tried though. If you're like, what if the Dolphins like tomorrow were like, yeah, so we have three, but we have a fourth one as well. Like, what do they get? What's the league office gonna do? Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> That's weird. I didn't know that rule. Uh, next up, the Cowboys. Um, they had a, a lot of hoopla around the national media. They uh, obviously were gonna let go of Jason Garrett after ten years of mediocrity. Um, the names that were being thrown out there for the Cowboys job were such as Lincoln Riley, uh, Matt Rule, Aaron Meyer, uh, Mike Zimmer for a while there got his name thrown in there as well. But they ultimately landed with Mike McCarthy, and and it's interesting that they only hired they only interviewed two candidates. 
Um, and they they interviewed both Mike McCarthy and Mike uh, what's his name Marvin Lewis. Yep. And I think I think Mike McCarthy was their guy all along. I think I think Marvin Lewis was just a interview to kind of um, appease the Rooney Rule, right? Right. Um, and it seems as you look at it with some nefarious eyes that Dallas just wanted Mike McCarthy and Marvin Lewis was just there for. You know, a prerequisite. So, at the end of the day, they got their guy. Um, I think this is a good hire. Uh, f- this is one of the hires that when I first read about it and I first heard it, I thought, no, I don't really see it. I thought it was going to be a more splashy move. But I think this, this might be a Stephen Jones hire instead of a Jerry Jones hire. Very A very steady guy in the locker room, a man's man, a leader, right? I'm sure at the end of his stint uh, with, with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, there were some serious issues. But for a long time, Mike McCarthy was looked at as a great leader for the Packers, won them a Super so I do like the hire at the end of the day. I think Mike McCarthy is going to be great for um, Dak Prescott's development. Um, but the only issue that I have is Mike McCarthy himself doesn't like to run the ball. Um, over his like 11, 12 years as the Packers, they were never in the top 10 for rushing attempts. Um, just looking at some simple stats. So that might be an issue with Zeke. But the other the other side of that argument is that he's never had a person like Zeke as well. So. Right. Right, and that's the thing, too. And uh, Tom Pelissero of NFL Media, he did a great piece, I want to say about two weeks ago, when he went to Mike McCarthy's house. I think he still lives in Green Bay. And was just talking about, like, the year off that he took. And McCarthy's a big guy. He has, I think he was working with former Ohio State head coach Jim Fossil. Um, oh, Trestle. Sorry, Jim Trestle. Jim Trestle. Yep, uh, working the with him, vest. him and a couple other coaches in uh, developing – a, 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 a film library for coaches that aren't in the league, but they still want to study the game and go over analytics and stuff like that. And it looks like Mike McCarthy is kind of what Jerry Jones wanted because Jerry Jones, a couple, you know, about a month and a half ago, was outside of a locker room saying Jason Garrett needs to be a little bit more aggressive and stop being safe on fourth down, maybe go for it a little bit more. And analytics shows that if you go for it, there's a higher chance for you to convert, higher chance for you to win the game. And Mike McCarthy seems to be catching, not catching up with the times, but being with the times at least of banging the table for analytics. And that's where a guy like Ezekiel Elliott could come in where if it's short yardage, fourth and three or whatever, you could have Zeke just blow up the gap. You can come up with uh, with drastic play calls. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, the kind of a spread offense. You had Michael Gallup have a breakout season this year. You got to figure Amari Cooper's coming back on a franchise tag. If they could get everything, all the pieces together with this offensive unit, this is going to be something to watch. So I'm kind of excited for this hiring down in uh, down in Jerry World. It's just going to come to, is Jerry going to be Jerry? And, you know, Mike McCarthy's going to have to answer some, you know, being weird-ass positions of, uh, you know, questions the following day when Jerry Jones goes on his radio show. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's the only thing that's going to be a little bit weird for him. At the end of the day, Mike McCarthy came from a system where there was a GM and somebody on top of the gym as well, the president, right? Right. With the Packers organization. Yep. So he's kind of used to that power structure, that power dynamics. So he understands where he lies in all of that. And I think that's part of the reason why he got hired as well. Yeah. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting to see what's happening in the big D. What's your early predictions for their 2020 odds? I mean, you're thinking like division contender, I division mean, winner. It's the NFC. It's the NFC East. I know, it's I mean, it's everybody, everybody is up, is a contender at this point. I I mean, what did they finish at? They, they were at like, They're what, eight, five, eight and eight? Eight and eight? Yeah. On, I mean, pa- I think on like paper. 10, 6, 11, 5 kind of team. On paper, they're at least, they're at least an 11 win team. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with coaching. I mean, 
They uh, they they brought in John Fossil. I believe his first name is John Fossil. Uh, the brother of Jim Fossil is a special teams guy. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, there's still, he's still hashing out his coaching staff. I think it's just really just John Fossil and Kellen Moore that's going to be his offensive coordinator. I think he spurred Boise State. He's going to stay down in Dallas. So Nice, nice. All right, cool. We're going to recap the four games that happened this past weekend on Wild Card Weekend. Um, we're not going to hit them too hard. Just kind of go over the main highlights and the story points from each four games. And then we'll jump right into the divisional round next week. Is that what it is? Yep. All right. Uh, first up, the Texans versus Bills, man. I think this was the best game of the week. Uh, there were so many swings and emotions in this game. Um, it was a hell of a game. Now, the Bills at one point were up 16-0 yep. in the third quarter with 21 minutes left in the game. And at that point, the Bills had a 91% chance of winning the game. Um, but after that 16-0 start, it was all downhill from there. Um, the Texans scored 16 points straight unanswered and ended up winning the game 22-19 in overtime. Uh, this is a classic game uh, where the Bills ended up kicking field goals and setting in touchdowns, mm-hmm. and it kind of came back to bite them in the ass because Deshaun Watson got hot. In that third quarter, Deshaun Watson took off, man. He was everything they built him out to be. He was everything Dabo Sweeney said he was, like the MJ of football, whatever he said. Um, but this was a must-win for Deshaun Watson because he has not won a playoff game up until this game. Like, he was over. And somebody that great needed to win a playoff game. So he ended up with a great stat line with 20, 20 of 25, uh, 247, uh, 247 yards and one touchdown, which is an 80% completion rate. I still don't know how we got on that sack because he was dead to rights. Listen, on top of that, man, if Deshaun Watson ever figured out a way how to get away the ball quickly and not take sats, that's like his biggest downfall. He's hold the ball, he holds the ball on for too long. He wants plays to develop for the long, you know, long ball downfield. If you ever kind of got into that mold of like, you know, not taking sacks and throwing the ball away and moving the ball five yards, even though it's just a short little dump off, he could be one of the best players in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other end, man, Josh Allen, man, listen, I, I've been hard on him this year. He's a great, he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's at a great level, and he really had some issues down the stretch. Um, I believe the moment was too big for him, and he was pressing. Um, but that's something a young quarterback has to kind of, kind of go through and learn. Now, uh, it was very obvious that on one end, there was a very experienced quarterback that was ready for the moment, and one quarterback was not ready. So it's a good learning lesson for the Bills. Um, they're they're a good team. Uh, they'll probably be vying for the NFC for the AFC East next year. Uh, but the Texans end up moving on to play the Kansas City Chiefs next week. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, next up, the Patriots is Titans, man. <clears throat> what a loss. <laughs> you know I was what? watching with Brandon, and you were right. I held it up really well, right? Uh, you did. I mean, we were watching the game, and I wasn't being I wasn't being an a-hole. I was just watching, and we're, we're just commentating, and, you know, I, yeah. I mean, Vegas I, gave him a puncher's chance, but... They yeah. couldn't stop the. I mean, they couldn't stop the run. They, yeah. the, the Stony Michelle could have hit an a gap. Sure, Julian Michelle's Edelman had a couple yeah. of costly drops. So part of me is relieved, man. This season's over, man. Um, it's been a long, trying season as a Patriots fan. There's so many. It started out great. We went on. We went on an eight zero run, but that was kind of a false, misleading stat, just because we played some crap teams, and then we went four and five the rest of the way. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, and the biggest part, the reason why I'm really relieved is we don't have to go to Kansas City and get embarrassed. If we went to Kansas City, bro, it was going to be like a 45, like 17 route. That would have been really bad. Mm. Uh, but this is building all year, man. This is the pass for a bad team. They're so bad that Tannehill needs to throw 72 yards to win the game. That's all and you need to throw. they got a pick. 
And they got a pick as well. His ending QBR was 24.7, and you know? he won in New England. You know? and the reason why they won was because Derrick Henry's an absolute monster. The guy is a man amongst fucking childs out there, apparently, from what it looks like. Um, he ended the game with 182 yards, and the Pats, he had no answer. Not one, not one bit. Every single time he touched the ball, is five, six yards. Now, there's a lot to discuss this offseason about the Patriots and Brady and Belichick, and that's something we'll do in a later podcast. We'll have plenty of time for that. Um, but I do have some serious issues on how Belichick constructed this team. Um, in retrospect, it was flagrantly um, – he flagrantly filled out his job to not provide – um, enough around Brady to have a viable team, especially at tight end. I, I know um, the wide receivers can kind of get away with saying, you know, well, we drafted Nikhil Harry, we tried bringing in Sonia Brown, and we had Julian Bennett. I get all that. But at the at the tight end spot, something Brady's been so accustomed to for the last um, eight, nine years with Rob Gronkowski, they absolutely failed him in, bringing, in trying to bring somebody in. Um, Jared Cook was on the street that was signed with the Saints. That didn't work out. There's a couple of the guys out there that they wanted to go after, but it just didn't work for whatever reason. Um, and we ended up with Matt Lacoste as one of our tight ends. Like, I yeah, mean, he wasn't just, even active for the playoff game. Yeah, so at the end of the day, um, there'll be a lot of discussion. We'll have months to discuss where Brady lands and what happens with the Patriots going forward, but today's probably not the time for all that. Right. I was just going to say, like, to the tight end spot, I remember, I know it was in the offseason. I don't think we did a podcast about Gronkowski retiring, yeah. but I think it was our mock draft episode where I said they should take Dawson Knox out of Old Miss mm-hmm. at the tight end spot, and he ended up getting drafted by Buffalo. And I'm not saying he was putting up Gronk numbers, but like he looked the part. He well, was. I, do- I think he could have been that. He offense. was good. He was good in, in pass blocking. He was good at run blocking, and he ran a couple of routes and. I mean, I think if he, if he being Brady, was throwing to Dawson Knox this year, that could have made things a little bit more interesting, maybe a little bit more of a puncher's chance on the offense. But we, we can get into Brady Watch another episode. I'm just going to say real quick that, you know, there's a couple of people. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And, you know, a couple of people, like the, the Bowler Brothers, right? Bowler Brothers died in the wool, Patriot fans. Raking me off the coals for just saying, you know, hey, that you know, something about Ryan Fitzpatrick ruining the bye week a couple of weeks ago. And they're like they, they were all over the place in regards to the stuff I was saying. Crickets. Crickets mm. after they lost. So it, it's just it's it's weird because I'm not ready to write off like, hey, it's probably the end of a dynasty. I think he's gonna he's gonna continue playing. I think he's gonna go somewhere else, but it's just funny how quiet like the Pats fans got, and it's Wednesday, or Tuesday, <laughs> January seventh, and I haven't seen a whole lot of posts from anybody, so it's weird. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's nothing great to be, nothing great to post about. You know, what I'm saying like, uh, fans are obviously fanatics for a reason, right? They're, they're but it was like, run. dude, it was like the extent of like there wasn't even like a thing, like you know, hey, like you know, like a thank you kind of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like kind of like an appreciation thing. It was. It was straight crickets. Yeah. Like, holy well, crap. Listen, every every more than different reasons, right? I mean, I'm still in the resentment phase. <laughs> like, I, I, I haven't gone over was the five steps of grief. Yeah, the five way. stages of grief. Like, I, I'm still in resentment phase. I, I still cannot believe that they allowed one of Brady's, you know, twilight career years to be surrounded by this cast. Like, I just don't understand why it came to this level. And I get that they brought in Antonio Brown, but... If it came to that, that you had to hinge your, your bets on Antonio Brown, like, I think you already lost the game, you know what I'm saying? And then you're watching Seattle on on Sunday night, you're watching DK Metcalf go out there and lighting it up, like, and we have Nikhil Harry, who is the guy that can't run his routes properly. Like, it just, it just goes to show you that, you know, 
as much as a genius as Bill Belichick is, and as much as people like to discredit Tom Brady for just jealousy, resentment, whatever it is, you got to look at Belichick and be like, dude, you haven't drafted a pro bowler in the 20-year dynasty that you had besides Gronk. Like, if you look at it, you have not drafted an offensive pro bowler. That's a stat that I heard the other day, and it blew me away. Like, how is that possible? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, listen, we'll talk about all this later on, but I have some severe resentment towards Bill Belichick and what he's doing. And, and it's, interesting what Bel- it's interesting what Robert Kraft said before the game. He said, I hope and I pray that Brady ends his career as a Patriot. Now, it's interesting that the owner of a team would say that. And the reason why he's saying that is because Kraft got his one chance to insert himself into football operations, and that was the Jimmy Garoppolo and Brady trade. Mm-hmm. I believe if he does it now, Belichick's going to walk. Oh, it's going to be a power struggle. It's going to be, listen, like, we need to... And I promise you, if Belichick puts this... If Belichick lets Brady walk out the door and play for another team, Pats fans will never will never let him let, let it down. But you know what? I think to that extent, Pats fans need to come around to the idea that Brady wants to leave. Like, if he didn't want to leave, why structure your contract that way? Why structure where I have an out, I'm only playing this year, and I don't want to be franchise tag? It's political bullshit. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what Belichick's going to try to do. I think Brady generally wants to end his career as a Patriot. Let, let's let's assume that. Let's assume that for a second, that Brady wants to end his end his career as a Patriot. Robert Kraft wants his career to end as a Patriot. Looks like Belichick is the one guy that's rubbing all this in the middle here, right? And we all know he'll use that excuse of, you know, I'll do what's best for the team. But I think deep down, he has some sort of resentment towards Brady and Kraft for what they did to him three years ago with the Garoppolo trade. And which I might point out to you, worked out in our favor because we won two Super Bowls since then. Yeah, but now, so you're I a, think, now you're in uncharted, uncharted waters where, say, Brady does leave. Your number one quarterback at this point. But why does Brady down. have to leave? Because I think he wants to leave. I think he's, let's, he let's wants assume, out. Let's assume Belichick somehow. Well, listen, from what I understand, Belichick and Brady, I'm sorry, Robert Kraft and Brady have a great relationship. From what I understand, right? Right. So I, from logic, I can only deduce that he wants to play for Robert Kraft since they have such a great relationship. What's holding him up? What else is holding him up? But here's the thing. They're, the New England Patriots, if you ca- if you take Tom Brady out of this roster, the one of the youngest people not named Nikhil Harry is Stephon Gilmore at 29 years old. Yeah. All these guys are mid-30s or, or approaching mid-30s. And whose fault is that? This is an old roster. It is time. I, I'm not saying it's time to blow stuff up, but if you want to rebuild and start, start a new... Tom Brady structured why, the contract why in a certain are way we for at a reason. This point at Brady's last two or three years of rebuilding a whole team. Why wasn't this looked at three years ago where we had a good five to seven year plan where Belichick drafted the people properly and he had the certain pieces in play to make sure Brady ended his career as a Patriot on a high note? Why are we at this point right now? Well, Brady was, from all aspects, it looked like Brady was a little little chapped about Jimmy Garoppolo coming in, possibly taking his job. And deservedly and he, so. And he pulled the Brett Favre. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because Tom Brady structured the contract in the way that he wants to. And I honestly think, I tweeted this out months ago, and I retweeted it at the end of the game, where if I had to rank things right now, Tom Brady retires with part ownership of the New England Patriots. Number two, he goes in place for somebody else, which I think would be the Chargers. I'll explain why in a minute. And then number three is he comes back to New England. 
New England's like middle of the road with cap space. I think they have 25 million in cap space in, in 2020. But if you go to the Chargers, one, Spanos is going to bend over backwards and give you everything that you ever wanted because he needs to fill an 80,000 seat stadium that he's sharing with the Rams. Yeah. He has offensive line aside, he, he's going to be having. Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon, two running backs that can actually hit the fucking hole and gain yards after after contact. You're throwing to outside receivers of Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and you have a young tight end that could be a it is a Pro Bowl it's level a, no, guy in Hunter Henry, and you get to push your TB12 propaganda to a bunch of rich folk in Simi Valley and possibly become a media mogul a la Magic Johnson and possibly own a football team. Yeah. No, listen, at the end of the day, it makes complete sense for him to be at L.A., but I feel like he's had so much success with the Patriots. I, I truly believe Tom Brady wants to go out as a Patriot, and it's even it's even said from what Tom Brady Sr. said once on, on an interview or whatever it was, saying that this is going to end badly for Tommy. He wants to play in New England for the rest of his life, but it's going to end bad for Tommy, right? And the reason why he's saying that is because everybody knows Belichick's going to... Listen, Belichick, when you get to be that great, you have some sort of arrogance about you. And I get that. Brady has arrogance. Kraft has arrogance. Belichick has arrogance. But his power and his arrogance is going to drive a stake into this organization and have Brady walk away, right? And I and I can't seem to get over the fact that Kraft is going to let him do it, right? Kraft obviously will not interject anymore because if he does, Belichick's going to walk as well. But... I just I just don't see us ending I just don't see us ending possibly positively at all for either party you know right and leading up to this game uh, Tom Brady basically banned his dad from speaking to the media here's here's how I think it plays out besides the retirement thing he goes and plays somewhere else New England they have like 13 draft picks this year what's to stop them from trading up into the top 10 and taking two of Tonga Bailoa like that offensive line is not going to get better overnight there's not enough people in free agency at the offensive line position to fix things, why not get a player that can keep the play alive under duress a la Deshaun Watson or, or you know, Lamar Jackson and kind of, you know, no shade, like catch up with the times. Yeah. Well, no, I, no listen, I, I think that statement right there, listen, I'm the biggest proponent for running quarterbacks, right? But there's a reason why Joe Burrow is going to be the number one overall pick. There's still there's still those cases in the NFL where you can win with a Tom Brady and Joe Burrows. It can happen. You know what I'm saying? The issue is Belichick. God, I mean, this is we're getting way into the weeds for with Belichick. Right. I mean, at know? the end of the day, I mean, it's. Tom Brady's not going to keep like he can roll out, but I mean, every time he's rolled out to keep a play alive, he threw a pick or close to a pick. Yeah. Like. Why not get a guy? It, I mean, at some point, you need to start planning for life without Tom Brady. Yeah, life but you without can Bill do Belichick. that with Bel- we can do that with Brady for the next two years. Like I don't Dude. understand how I don't understand how this got to a point where it's so bad. And I know people want to consider Belichick as this great genius. But let's be real. Let's be 100. The dude was under 500 without Brady. The dude was under 500 in New England with the, with, without Brady. He was two and three or whatever it was, two and four before uh, Bledsoe got hurt and Brady came in. Like there was coaching, there was coaching staff members on that coaching team that was looking for houses outside of New England because it's been a year and a half and they're doing absolutely nothing. So people want to give this amazing glory to Belichick, but dude. 
has not drafted one probable pro bowler around Tom Brady right. on the offense besides Gronk. Right. Like, I get it. He's smart and he's great. But he is under 500 without Brady. And I don't think he's going to be great without Brady either once he leaves. Mm. Like, who's he going to put out? The Jared Stidham? That's why I'm saying you trade up and you get a Tua. You get you could get a hell. They could get Jordan Love on the cheap in the second and third round out of Utah State. Yeah, they were saying if, if and do that. That's fine. Do that. Do that. But then have him as the bridge guy for two years behind Brady. What's wrong with sitting for two years? And Rogers did it right. But listen, there's not enough people in free agency unless you bring back. And that's Antonio my original Brown. point. Is he got this team to a point where it got so bad? That he didn't forecast this properly. That's my biggest point here. Is as great as Belichick is, as great as we want to make him off to be, he put this team in a shit situation. Well, how much was it him? And how, listen, you got to put craft in this because Brady was banging the table for Antonio Brown to come back. Belichick, want, Belichick didn't even want to let go listen, of Antonio listen, Brown. If your team hinges on one wide receiver, you traded you traded draft picks for Mohamed Sanu when you have Nikhil Harry, who's a younger version of Mohamed. And whose decision was that? Whose decision was that? That was Belichick's decision. You just made a point for me. Belichick went out there and made another dumb decision by bringing in Harry. I'm sorry, uh, Mohamed Sanu. When you have Josh when, Gordon. When Emmanuel Sanders was on the other end, you could have drafted, you could have taken him. In when you it. have, well, one, Sanders went to, obviously went to 49ers before. But he was available for was, a trade. And there was a better draft package. But I don't think, I honestly think that at that point, Belichick was, one, he, if he traded, if he traded for Emmanuel Sanders, Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent this year. Do you want to just mortgage draft picks for possibly a, a like a, a five month rental? Not even where at least you, if this Mohamed Sanu trade hits, you have him for another contract year. You have him in your system. He can understand the offense a little bit more. But they were hedging their bets where they had Nikhil Harry, who could have been the big red zone guy to fill. Uh, Gronk's void. You had the speedster f- uh, Phil Dorsett. You had another speedster if he could just keep his act together in Josh See, Gordon. This, this, this is my biggest issue with offense. how you look at football and how I look at football. You say stuff like if. Like, well, if Nikhil Harry ran his routes properly. Well, no, no, no. I wasn't. Would, no, 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 no. But what no, no, actually put, happened. No, 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 Don't put words in my mouth. You I said stuff saying, along the lines of he mm-hmm. if. You said a lot of if there. But, but what Jay, actually Jay, happened. Jay, what actually act- happened was none of those decisions panned out. Jay, and we end up losing the first round. Jay. In actuality, when you're drafting Nikhil Harry, you have Phil Dorsett under contract. You have Josh Gordon, who at the time was walking the straight and narrow, and you had you figured, okay, I have Nikhil Harry. He can fill that that Rob Gronkowski void. I just need a tight end that can block and all this other stuff. And I have two guys on the outside that can take the top off of defense. We saw that against Pittsburgh. It was right there. It's not like I'm just living in a world of ifs. When it comes draft time in April, that's what the reality is. But that's not what happened. That's not what transpired. We At that point, I get that. But looking back, we can look at those decisions and be like, well, his thought process back there didn't work one bit. Because what actually transpired this season was we had absolutely no presence at tight end one bit, and the kill hair was crap. So, so we he, can look back at those decisions and be like, yo, he fucked up on those decisions. So he drafted Nikhil Harry knowing that he was going to have roll his ankle week one of preseason against Detroit, be on injured reserve for the first eight weeks, sit out a week to get up to speed on practice and make sure he was cleared, and then put Nikhil Harry on the active roster? No, he did not. That's what And the what draft I'm saying is... is we can say at one point he made the right decision, but looking back, those decisions are not right. Things change over time. 
The decisions he made back then don't pan out. So we can look back and say, well, listen, those decisions didn't pan out. We can't just be like, oh, well, you thought back then it was fine. So we'll give you a pass just because it didn't work out. That's not how life works. That's not how the NFL works. But I'm just saying there are many people, even at the beginning of the season, prior to Antonio Brown showing up, that people were saying this was a stacked roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And then when they got Antonio Brown, that put them over the edge. That's what it is. Like, yeah, yeah it's a world of ifs, but it's a fact. What sucked with the Antonio Brown thing was, um, and it was like a minor move that nobody kind of like paid attention to, but the fact that we let Demarius Thomas walk or we traded him to the Jets or whatever, however he ended up with the Jets, that kind of hurt us big time in the back, in the back end as well. A little bit, but then he didn't do anything with the Jets, so it's like... He, well, I mean, it's, come on, Sam, who is out there throwing to him? The third backup, whatever his name is, and Sam Darnold's hurt for half the year with Mono. Like, it's not a good situation right. to be in. But in Belichick fashion, he gets a draft pick, and he could possibly package that to trade up. Yeah. Well, all I'm saying is Belichick always tries to be super smart and ahead of the curve, and people want to give him this accolade, but let's just look at, look at it for what it is. This is a crap team. Absolutely worst in the twelve playoff in the twelve playoff teams, um, the roster that Belichick assembled for the playoffs is absolutely crap compared to everybody else. Maybe the Eagles, but they had a lot of injuries as well. But I mean, you pluck you pluck Brady into maybe I don't know Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Who knows what could happen with that? I don't know. I mean, they kind of got shut down. They had Drew Brees. All, all I'm saying <laughs> is in the AFC. The Patriots had the absolute worst cast of supporting cast for Brady. So I don't understand how you can, you know, people are out there just blaming Brady for his bad performance. And and I'll, I'll put it this way. How does Brady's age and bad performance stop Derrick Henry from running for 182 yards? How does that happen? Well, the, the defense That's Belichick's defense. That's the genius of Belichick. Well, you can also yell at his son and Gerard Mayo for that, too. Listen, I'm just sick and tired of this fucking Belichick love. The dude's a little bit on the overrated side. I mean, yes, I get it. We got super, six Super Bowl rings out of him. Dude was under 500 before he got to the Patriots. He cannot assemble a, an offensive player for for his fucking life. And now we're out of the fucking playoffs. Man, he's one of the best. Yo, he's one of the best defensive minds of the league. He won a Super Bowl yeah, with Bill with Parcells. Lawrence Taylor and Bill Ta- and Bill Parcells as a head coach. Who else couldn't be great in that in that fucking mold? That's like saying, you know, what's his face? Phil Jackson got dropped into the uh, the Jordan and the and the and the Lakers. Like, I get oh, it. It's it. it's a 50-50 right. chance. It's a 50-50 thing. Go ahead and hate Brady as much as you want. I get that. There's just resentment there, but you gotta look at it for what it is. Belichick let Derek Henry run for 182 yards the other night. Think about that for a second. For 100, for the genius that is Belichick, he went into halftime and could not adjust one bit. It was 182 yards in total. Ryan Tannehill had 72 yards passing that night out of Gillette, and he still won that game. As Patriots fans, you should be outraged that your coaching staff let that happen. Or could it just be the defense was cooked because the offense couldn't move the ball? Because, yeah, there were there were crucial drops from Edelman, and Nikhil Harry wasn't finishing routes and all this other stuff, but... Tom Brady was missing. He missed a couple of throws too, just outside. I did not one. Bi- I did not one bit say Tom Brady didn't have a great game or a great season. But you have to look at the whole picture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but again, if you're if this defense, if this if the Pats team is not playing with the lead, you said it yourself after the Tannehill interception. Well, now we have to go play offense. Let's see how far we can move the ball. Huh. Like it's going to be hard for a defense to stay in a game when the offense can't move the ball as a whole. So is that that's Bill Belichick's fault too? I guess. Yeah, he, he put those players manager. on the field. He put he put a Julian Edelman out there, and that's the only offensive yeah, weapon he has. Just, and on top of that, Julian Edelman has a bust shoulder and a surgery and a fucked up knee. Yeah, but you can't just absolve uh, Josh McDaniels from any from. I will say this either. as well. I will say this as well. I think I think as if we're all fair minded here, I think the one thing we need to really constantly we need to say here and be truthful about it is 
Josh McDaniels got out coached like a mofo this year. On part of it is the fact that he doesn't have he has limited weapons. I get that, but there are times and instances where I'm like, wait a minute, what did Josh McDaniels just run that play? I think in general, this off this offensive and defensive coaching staff, including Belichick, got out coached for most of the year. I think they got lazy. I think they got soft. I think got, I think they sat back on their on their laurels and were like, oh, well, we're, we're the Patriots. We're just gonna roll the balls out there and win. I think that's what happened a little bit this year, and that's part of just. I mean, that's your that's your head coach. He sets a tone in New England, right? He does it all, right? Yeah. Well, I still think he's gonna be around, barring a power struggle. My uh, my one thing, and then we're going to get to game preview at this point, is uh, the New Orleans Saints. Oof. Poor Saints. You know what? I'm not going to say poor Saints. I'm going to explain why. So, New Orleans, they, they were at home. They were home in the Dome. They were against the Minnesota Vikings. At one point, the Vikings-Saints game opened with the Minnesota Vikings as 10-point underdogs. Prior to kickoff, I think it opened at 7, 7.5, depending on what sports book you looked at. And throughout most of the game, Minnesota looked like the better football team in all aspects, offense, defense, uh, special teams at times too. Uh, it got off to a rough start with uh, with Adam Thielen fumbling the football at a cru- crucial moment, but th- I think they were only able to put up a field, uh, field goal. Uh, they were able to recover. Kirk Cousins, he made a couple of big throws and big plays down the end to, to se- secure the win. But, you know, a lot, a lot of people are going to put this loss for the New Orleans Saints on – Yo, there was passing interference in the end zone. It, yeah, was there was there a push off at the end? Yeah, was there also hand fighting at the beginning, uh, at the beginning of the play between the defensive back and uh, and Kyle Rudolph going into that fade route in the end zone? Absolutely. And I honestly think that if that play had happened seven minutes into the first quarter of this game, it wouldn't be called. So it's probably not going to get called for uh, offensive passing interference in the end zone as well, too. And a lot of people, they're kind of coming after me when I was saying this isn't P.I. I wouldn't call this. If you call this as passing interference, it would have been the softest P.I. call I would have seen in the playoffs uh, ever at this point. You know, you're the New Orleans Saints throughout most of the game, short of a few Taysom Hill plays, this offensive unit was flatlining. Like, they couldn't get anything going. Drew Brees kind of looked mortal at times. Alvin Kamara, the number one running back in this backfield, uh, he he only rushed seven times for 21 yards. The leading rusher was Taysom Hill at four carries for 50 and Kamara got a touchdown because Taysom Hill cleared the fr- the freaking way on the two yard line, and at one point, Taysom Hill had the biggest pass throw of the game for like a he was one for one for fifty yards. Drew Brees didn't even get close to that until the third quarter. This offensive unit was bad, and for the Saints to come out and start and the fans to come out and start railing on the the NFL officiating. You know, maybe don't put yourself in positions where the game needs to be set, decided by referees. Like, they, they come out they, through 17 weeks of the season, the New Orleans Saints, they come out and they play like Tarzan. And then it comes to playoff time, and they look like Tarzan, and they play like Jane, and they look super conservative, and at times they played soft, and questionable timeouts from from Sean Payton, you know, they, they had that illegal shift. They could have burned a timeout and saved time on the clock or take the 10-second runoff. 
there was just I think it's start it's time to start holding Sean Payton's feet to the fire of you have this stacked roster why have you only gotten one Super Bowl like the the referee excuse can work for last year like that's a comp but you're about to be like a Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, where you're kind of wasting Drew Brees' prime at this point. You sh- they, they could have two Super Bowls, you know, but th- th- they haven't done anything. Oh, so we can hold, you know, Sean Payne's fire to the, for wasting Drew Brees' Drew Brees's last couple years, but we can't hold Belichick, right? I mean, I'm just saying from questionable play calls, I mean, they looked like Jay. They looked like Tarzan, and they played like Jane. Listen, and, they, they, you know, given- they have no ounce of you know complaining after that game because they came out sloppy they came out with i mean it took them three quarters to get their offense in sync so i get it and at the end of the day by the letter of the law the defender the offensive player and rudolph did extend his harm and you can see it on on tv but they're not going to call that like i mean i don't know why you put they put the rule into place uh part of the issue is people don't understand what a pi is anymore that's where all the confusion is coming from and all just the uh just a backlash, but at the end of the day, they're not going to call that. It's up to you, Saints, to be better for the first half. It's up to you to play better defense, up to you know, Drew Brees to not fumble the ball. Um, there's a lot there that you know we could argue about, but we can't argue the fact that they're not going to call that. They're not going to call that. That's well, what it is. Uh, looking forward to next week's playoff games. The first one being the Vikings, the 49ers. Uh, my boy, uh, Hammer Time with the 49ers and my boy Aaron, the Vikings fan, are going to go at it this week. Hey, Ron. Yep. Listen, man, good for Kirk Cousins for pulling out that win in New Orleans. There is this big stigma around him that he can't win the big game, uh, but he silenced a lot of critics. And and I love that post, uh, post-game post uh, video. Did you see that where he's like, you like that? Yeah. It was absolutely Everybody great. loved it. Yeah. And like he said in that video, man, um, it was a complete team win at the end of the day. The, the Vikings played good defense. They held New Orleans to 20 points. They ran the ball well, 94 yards and two touchdowns with uh, with Dalvin Cook. And Kirk Cousins ended, with, ended up with a really good day he had one touchdown and a qbr 78 now the vikings played winning formula down in new orleans to win that game with good defense and running game and just a great play from kirk cousins um now if they can replicate that in san francisco obviously they'll win that game however i don't see that happening and uh, the main reason why i don't see that happening is because the 49ers front four is insane i think that front four will put extreme pressure on kirk cousins all day long and at the end of the day i believe the 49ers are a better version of the vikings Vikings um, minus the Dalvin Cook thing, right? So Dalvin Cook is better, and their running game is better with the Vikings. But for the most part, the 49ers are a better version of the Vikings. They have they have a better defense. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is a little better than Kirk Cousins. Um, they are one of those teams that also runs the ball fairly well, does a lot of play action off of that, and plays good, sound defense. So I think at the end of the day, the 49ers will win this game 24-20. All right. Uh, now, just on the Minnesota side, I, I just think – because of the abundance of offensive weapons that Kirk Cousins has on the on the outside with Thielen and, and Diggs, and you have the tight ends of Mason Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr., uh, the rookie out of Alabama, and the running backs of Madison and, and Dalvin Cook, I think they could really keep this defensive unit on its heels. Uh, they, they can be beaten on the uh, on the ground with with uh, we've seen that over the over the season. I believe the, the 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 San Francisco 49ers they're kind of middle of the road uh, in in regards to rush defense. Uh, I believe that they hang on a sec I have the number right here. 
uh, 17th. They're 17th against rush defense. I mean, even when Alexander Madison was in, uh, he sat out the last two games of the regular season going into the playoff game with a high ankle sprain. I mean, he was looking spry. He looked great. Dalvin Cook looked like a savage. And when Dalvin Cook is healthy, this offense is hitting on all cylinders. I think they could give this front four and this front seven a bit of a run for their money, open up the play-action game, and get Thielen uh, Thielen and Diggs. I think Diggs is going to want to get a little bit more involved, just judging by the sideline antics leading into uh, during the game last week. But it's really going to come down to how this how refreshed – the San Francisco 49er uh, defenses. If every team needed a bye week, it was the 49ers. They, I mean, towards the end, I think Joey Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, they were only playing about you know 60% of the snaps of any given game because they were gassed. Their bye week was week four. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come out. Uh, and I want to see what Jimmy Garoppolo does against the secondary of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, you know, with... You know, Xavier Rhodes, he's had a down year, and he looked like he exited the game a few times against the Saints banged up with a stinger. It's going to be fun to see who they line up with Manny Sanders, who they have George Kittle on. But I honestly think the X factor for the San Francisco 49ers is going to be Debo Samuel. They have him, they scheme him into to run plays and jet sweeps. He he uh, He's shown that he can be a bona fide wide receiver in this league. I think he's... Top three uh, rookie wide receiver uh, in the season so far, so it's going to be interesting to see. I think he could be the deciding factor. With all that said, the over under in this game is forty five. Give me the over, but give me Minnesota on the road. I just oh, have a little bit snap. more faith in Dalvin Cook in this play action game against the San Francisco Forty ers Could you imagine the uh, the Vikings in the NFC Championship game? Oof, that'd be something. Uh, next up, Tennessee versus Baltimore. Man, listen, Tennessee has a real chance of winning this game. I know a lot of people out there believe. Um, the Ravens are going to just kind of walk all over the Titans, but I think there's a good chance they win this game. Now, nobody's going to stop Derrick Henry. Uh, the guy is an absolute monster. Um, he will get his. The real question is, how much will Ronald Tannehill uh, contribute to this offense? Will he go in and throw his 72 yards and get that win just like he did in New England, which I believe he will not. He'll have to produce way more than that to get a win in, uh, in, uh, in Baltimore. Um, additionally, will Tennessee's defense be able to slow down the Ravens' offense? Nobody has so far, so we'll see how that goes. Now, the concern for Baltimore, man, listen, I was trying, I was looking at Baltimore, and I was like, what kind of weaknesses do they have? Like, they really don't have any weaknesses. The only thing I can point out to is the fact that they have some rust coming off of 20 days of not playing football. That's, like, really one of the main, you know, driving factors that I kind of point to for, for, the, for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I believe they'll get right back to their winning ways of 20 passing yards per game and 20 rush, uh, 200, I'm sorry, 200 passing yards per per game and 200 rushing yards per game um the one thing to keep an eye on here is uh mark ingram's uh pulled calf i believe he left the arena with a walking boot once he pulled that calf so we'll have to see how healthy he is but at the end of the day like i did say tennessee has a good chance of winning this game but at the end of the day baltimore is just too good too strong they're gonna end up winning let's call it maybe like 31 to 24 okay all right um Tennessee, I think that they're really just going to have to live and die by running the football with Derrick Henry. I mean, yep. you know, he, the guy's 245 pounds. I, I think Baltimore is top five 
against rush defense, but you know that so much is based on Derrick Henry running the football, and I think with him, them trying to establish the run, you're going to get Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown in groove for play action. Baltimore struggled at times, even with the trade for Marcus Peters to pair up with uh, with Humphrey uh, at the cornerback position. They've struggled at times against perimeter receivers, and I think A.J. Brown could have a the potential for a, a good day in this game uh, if the play-action uh, development is there. And the defense, they're just going to have to maintain containment discipline. I mean, the Tennessee is ninth against uh, the pass, 21st against the rush, so you figure they're going to try to run the ball down your throat, look for more des- uh, designed runs from Lamar Jackson. You need to be disciplined on your containment Uh but really, Baltimore, besides Mark Ingram, Mark Andrews was limited in practice today at recording. It's Tuesday. Marquise Brown has been banged up this season so far. So a lot of injuries to keep an eye on for Baltimore. And I think Baltimore is going to just run the football down the throat if Mark Henry's full go. I think it's going to be the Mark Henry show. Uh, the over-under in this game is 47.5. Give me the under, but give me Tennessee in the upset of the week. I just I, Wow, Tennessee with the upset, huh? Derrick Henry establishing the run, opening play action. I, I, it's going to be a fun game to watch, and I think they could pull the upset in Baltimore and get some crab cakes on the way out of town. Dude, I think that that game could go one of two ways. I think either Tennessee's going to win, or I think it could be a blowout. Like There's like no in-between keeping it close kind of thing, you know? Um, okay, Seattle versus Green Bay. Now, the Seahawks won a very gritty game in Philadelphia, 17-9 at the end of the day. Um, DK Metcalf emerged as a stud and accumulated 160 yards and a touchdown. Now, my biggest concern for the Seahawks is their running backs rushed for 64 yards, all four of them. Wait, all three of them? Four of them, whatever it was. 64 yards for an offense that relies heavily on the running game. Um, and I think, let's be real here for a second. If Carson Wentz didn't get hurt, there's a really good chance Philadelphia could have won that game with just how inept that offense looked with the rushing attack. Yep. On the other end, the Packers. Do you think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers remember that 2014 NFC Championship game mm-hmm. with the Seahawks? And uh, what's the guy's name that uh, fumbled that ball something? Britain? Or, oh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know yeah, what I'm t- about. took all that heat for taking that offsides and fumbling it. Yep. But listen, unlike that NFC Championship game, this game will be in Green Bay. And there could be some snow, which I'm really excited about as mm-hmm. well. I'll admit, the Packers' offense is kind of mediocre, man. If there's anything that we've realized over the last four months is they're just kind of middle of the pack on offense, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, They finished 18th in yards this season. However, I still have a tough time believing a very flawed Seattle team will go into Green Bay and upset the uh, Packers. So I will take the Green Bay Packers probably on a lower scoring game around 21-17. All right, all right. Uh, The Seattle side, they need to to find a semblance of a run game. Uh, Pete Carroll came out. And said that you know they he liked what he saw from Marshawn Lynch. They're going to get the rock to him a little bit more. I mean, in this game against the Eagles, Russell Wilson led the team in rushing, despite the fact that Marshawn Lynch got the touchdown. Um, but it's I think it's really going to come down to how this offensive line holds up against this Green Bay front seven. They've been great against the pass. Uh, the, the the Smith brothers they they've been a terror in the in the you know opposing backfields blowing up plays and and, and getting after quarterbacks it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this offensive line holds up they've been dinged up um, so Russell Wilson's going to have to be smart with the ball uh, not that he isn't but they're going to have to hold up in order for him to keep his magic going in this playoff uh, the Green Bay side. 
besides the the Dallas Cowboys, the, the Green Bay Packers, to me, are the, the second biggest pretenders coming out of the NFC. They're, they're, they're like a 13-3 and team that inspired the least amount of confidence that I've seen in a long time. Uh, you, you know, despite a great game against the Oakland Raiders, Aaron Rodgers has been mediocre at best. Uh, I, it's really going to come down to which Rodgers are we going to see? Are we going to get the five touchdown performance against the Oakland Raiders? Or are we going to get the 130 yard one touchdown performance against the, the, the Washington Redskins who they, they have no secondary and you had Devonte Adams out there and you couldn't even get anything going with that. So it's Aaron Rodgers. which one are you going to show up? And if he's in a good groove, I think Devonte Adams could have a day against the secondary for Seattle They've been torched. They've been torched almost all year. Uh, this uh, this defensive line, unless they're taking a couple of cheap shots against the quarterback, they haven't really stopped a whole lot of people. Jadavian Clowney's been banged up. Ziggy Ons has been banged up. Uh, so who knows if they'll last a full game? And Aaron Jones, I think he could be in line for a great game as well too. Seattle is towards the bottom of the league uh, regular season, I should say, twenty third against the rush. Uh, so Aaron Jones and Jamal uh, Jamal Williams, uh, to an extent, could have a decent day at the office. Over-under is 46. I, I feel like this game's going to go under, but give me Seattle on the road in Lambeau. Wow, what an upset, huh? All right, next up, the game of the week, Houston versus Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson. I am super stoked about it's this game, be a great brother. Game. Um, like I said, what a win by Houston, man. At one point, they had a 91% chance of losing to the Bills. But we all know what happened, and that was Deshaun Watson is what happened. Now, listen, Mahomes has the better supporting cast, but Watson, but Watson has that Michael Jordan aura about him, right? Like, with him as your quarterback, you always got a chance kind of thing. Um, now, what needs to happen with the Texans uh, this weekend is somehow Will Fuller needs to produce just a little bit and not be made out of glass. Like when he's on the field, we talked about this last week, Will Fuller changes that offense dynamically. They become almost Chiefs left, uh, Chiefs kind of level where you just throw the ball downfield um, with 60-yard bombs. So he needs to not be such a Mr. Glass kind of like player and actually contribute a little bit, you know? Um what also needs to happen is uh, J.J. Watt needs to pressure Mahomes like he pressured Allen um, on uh, on Saturday, even though he had limited reps. Um, with Casey, they'll be rested. With uh, with Casey, they'll be rested and ready to go. Now, what happened? Now, what can happen is what happened last time these two teams played. Houston rolled up 472 yards of offense in a 31-24 win in Week Six. I totally forgot about this. Yeah, Carlos Hyde had like 130 yards on the ground. He yeah. pushed the back the hands of time. Yeah. That was probably the low mark for the defense this year. Now, since then, that defense has improved quite a bit. Um, and out of the last uh, six weeks, they were probably one of the best defenses in the league. So let's hope that continues in the in the playoffs. Um, the Houston offensive line cannot protect Watson. So um, they gave up seven sacks last, uh, last week to the Bills. So Frank Clark should kind of have a heyday here. They paid him a lot of money this offseason. So he should be able to earn that offseason payday. Um, this week. At the end of the day, the Chiefs offense will be Chiefs offense. They'll put up 24, 31 points or whatever it is. But I'm still going to roll with the Texans in a classic win, 35-31. All right, all right. Uh, really, all i got to talk about is just the, the Kansas City side. I mean, speed kills we saw in the first half of the Bills game, and we saw a little bit at times with Devin Singletary in the second half that, you know, if you do a couple of design runs, you do a couple of uh, screen passes – that can counter this this defense up front four of the Houston Texans with Whitney Merciless and 
J.J. Watt with one pectoral muscle. They can really get after it, and there's a bunch of speedsters on this Kansas City team from Tyree Kill to Travis Kelsey. He's surprisingly fast, and Mecole Hardman and Damian Williams. I think they could be in line for a good day at the office, and I think this could be possibly a Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy show. They were restricting the reps for LaShawn McCoy to preserve him for the postseason for moments like this. And the, the other key to this game for me, you know, I've been saying this. I was, I was high on this hiring in the offseason. I've said this a few times in a couple of game previews for the Chiefs. It's going to come down to Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, during the, the, the first part of the year, and I believe the Texans played these guys, it, it was week six, somewhere around there. Uh, they gave up a ton of ton of offense, like you said. But as of lately, they've been one of the top defenses in the NFL. It's almost like a, a prototypical Spagnolo defense where the coverage scheme finally starts to come together, gives the pass rush enough time to get after the quarterback once everything's in sync. And I think against this depleted offensive line that's been dinged up at times, Spagnuolo is going to be able to dial up a couple of uh, exotic blitz packages to get after uh, Deshaun Watson. I mean, Deshaun Watson has been a knock that he holds on to the ball for too long to keep plays alive. And they're fast on the, the opposite side of the football for the defense. They can really get after it as well, too. So I think this is going to come down to Steve Spagnuolo. The over-under is 50-and-a-half. I feel like that's about right. I, I'm I'm going to take the under this game. I don't think the combined total is going to be over 50. Um, so give me give me the under and give me Kansas City at home. Uh, I think that it's going to come down to a big play by the Honey Badger, uh, Tyran Matthew, uh, for them to seal the victory uh, out at Arrowhead and punch their ticket to the AFC Championship game. Listen, Steve Spagnuolo needs to earn his keep this week. Listen, if they go into if Houston goes into Kansas City and puts up another 472 yard performance. Dude, like, the, the, the national media is going to have another outcry, just like last year, you know? Um, and I think I think it's important for the Chiefs' psyche. I think it's important for Patrick Mahomes' development to kind of um, win this game and take the next step into the AFC Championship game and go to the Super Bowl. So I have them going to the Super Bowl this year. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to say that. <laughs> I had the Texans kind of make a deeper run than the Chiefs do, but... I think I think uh, Steve Spagnuolo needs to step it up this week. Yeah, you know, I think he's gonna dial it up the right way, and you know, sports betting just got legal in the great state of New Hampshire in the six hundred three. So you know, might reach out, might reach out to a couple friends up there, lay lay a twenty five dollar bet down on a parlay, get some get some good action, and get a payout, and you know, pay off a couple of bills. So let's see what happens. <laughs> you should do twenty five dollars on like all the upsets and twenty five dollars on like. Right, you know, you know, you know, if you pick all the upsets, I may or may not have looked. You pick all the upsets for the outright winners, it'd be about a fifty-five hundred payday. So, how do they pay you, by the way? So you can they'll they'll give you your winnings, but you have you. Can, I don't think you can collect it unless you're in a state where sports betting is legal. Mm-hmm. So, so you go up to New Hampshire. So I I would have to if I wanted to do that and say those bets hit, I would have to either drive to New Hampshire or drive to New Jersey. To collect the winnings. So do they just like put it back into your bank account? Or you yeah, like, I think they'll deposit they it into your what's account. The deal? I, th- I think. I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll just deposit in your account because say, I, me being a geek, I also uh, emailed DraftKings Sportsbook and was asking, what happens with the winnings? Like, do you tax this? What yeah. happens? And if it's 
say if you win like $600, that's one tax form. If you win over 55, if you win over 5K, you get like a 1099 miscellaneous and a W, like a W2, some other kind of fucking tax form just for sports betting. So yeah, you got to pay the man one way or another. How much is it? 40% on winnings? I have no idea. It's going to be expensive. Yeah, I don't know. Hell if I know. They're going to take your money. Whatever. Whatever, it's going to be a good time. So, yeah, 603, sports betting. About time they caught up with the times. But that's all I got for a little BS segment at the end. You got anything over there, good sir? Dude, I got nothing. Uh, it's going to be another great weekend of football. If the wild card weekend was any sort of precursor for the divisional round, I think we are in in for a very good weekend, brother man. Yep, it's going to be great. It's a well, great best time of the year. We're going to get some wings and do drop in. Yes, sir. We're going to watch some football. Yes, sir. It's going to be good stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, quick programming note. This upcoming weekend, we will drop in a podcast Sunday night, correct? Yep. Uh, myself, I will be traveling for work on Monday morning. So this upcoming Sunday, you will get the podcast. Yep. Right after the games. Get to listen to your Monday drive into work. Otherwise, I guess it's time for me to plug it up. So Facebook, Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast, Twitter, PFR Podcast. I'm on Twitter, Brando underscore Puma. My partner in crime over here, Jay Chima, is at Jay Chima. You can find this episode and previous ones on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher. Like, subscribe, download, hit us up on social media. If you have a question you want us to answer on the podcast, whether it's a sports betting question, who did what, what is, what's our thoughts on referees, whatever. You name it, hell, we'll even answer life advice for you. So feel free to hit us up. It's going to be a great time, great games. Can't wait for the Super Bowl to come around. But, man, it's been a hell of a ride. All right, well, thank you guys so much. Bye, they're coming.